Just so you know, it's just called winner person. There's no the. Oh, yes. Sorry. (laughs) It's okay. You said it a couple times. I just thought I'd correct you. (laughs) Hi, on this week's uh, Leave Work Now podcast, Pete Woppy and I are glad to reconnect with Eric Stevenson of Pocket Vinyl. He and his wife, Elizabeth Jankwitz, are the two-person art pop duo. And when we say art, we mean that literally because while... Eric sits on stage and plays piano and sings his very bright songs. His wife, Elizabeth, paints a canvas in real time, after which the show is over. They auction the painting off. They were working on a sort of concept album about hope in these dismal times. It's called Winter Person. There is a complete book that goes along with it that consists of comic books that Elizabeth has drawn based on each song, essays, puzzles, little bits of of trickery that lead you to yet more music, and then there's an ambient album that goes along with it. It's been a long time coming because of the COVID, but they're finally getting to do the release show which will happen Friday night at the Strange Brew Pub in Norwich. The winter's long, but I refuse it's to always fascinating to talk to Eric because he's really bright and, and curious and philosophical about the whole creative process. Funny thing is I'm a diehard winter person through and through. You were almost late to this conversation because you were sitting at your piano, frustrated possibly by the fact that nothing was happening, if I may infer. Um, That's sort of your job, right? Yeah, no, it's 100% my job. But it's, I think the hard thing to really convey when your it's it, it there's no way to put this that doesn't sound privileged <laughs> but it's when like any kind of art is your job it's just you have to understand and i rarely do but i try to that just like sitting and doing nothing and just staring at a wall is work and it i remember there's some like famous author that was talked about how something similar of like part of writing is just sitting and staring out the window for like an entire day and not typing anything. And um, it's, I find it so frustrating though, because I very much enjoy efficiency and I enjoy uh, like just action and doing things. And this part of the writing process where I'm just, it, it, you just are mulling over stuff. It's very, very frustrating to me, but it's, I understand that it's also necessary. In the context that you just uh, alluded to a writer staring out the window, I just interviewed an author, and he said the biggest problem for him was his awareness that there was a refrigerator in his house. And (laughs) he is successful enough that he moved his office in his house as far away from the kitchen where the refrigerator is to hopefully thwart his impulse to get up from the word processor or the computer and go stick his head in the refrigerator. And he reported that that effort 
however admirable, failed miserably. (laughs) (laughs) So, I I mean, I guess in a way, staring out the window uh, or going to the refrigerator, while it seems on the surface counterproductive to efficiency, might just be part of the process. Uh, Yeah, I mean, you can say that, but it feels like, you're, it it feels like to me it feels like you're, I'm making excuses. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> like I mean, I don't know. You know, then if that's the case, what isn't part of the process? You know what I mean? It's like ah, oh, trying to sleep every night is just part of the writing process, and you know, then trying to go. Oh, you know what? I've decided to go to a restaurant today. That's part of the process. Like it's it's so. I you know part of it too is is uh, with the the new record winter person and also stuff I'm working on now. Um, and even the few records before that, I kind of learned that um, I used to think that creativity was just something you sort of had to capture by accident and like right place, right time. And hopefully maybe you'll get a song if you know, you're, you're there and creativity somehow passes by or goes through or whatever. And I kind of learned that um, you can force yourself there. Yeah. And, um, and you can just sit down and it kind of, sucks sometimes but you can like if you push through it you can force yourself to find good songs i think a lot of our our best songs over the last few years have been from me just sitting at the piano being like no i'm gonna find something i'm good like i may not even feel inspired but i'm gonna find something and then oftentimes once you do it's very easy to get on that train you know once you have that like kernel you're like okay and then you you can run with it but finding that kernel is just it's it's so hard um and so it's I've been almost getting used to forcing creativity and and being able to to find things through sheer will. Um, But again, that doesn't always work. And so it's, it almost like in terms of any process more recently, I've been trying to do that of, of just almost trusting myself and trying to find good songs through sheer force of will. But when that doesn't work out and it doesn't work out very often, um, it is just incredibly frustrating. And to me, it's it's also frustrating too, because like when you look at an instrument, like uh, people are going to be writing songs on guitars or pianos or any instrument for generations, millennia to come. Those instruments, they may change a little bit, but like the notes and stuff, they're all the same and they're going to stay the same. And it's so frustrating to me that like, 4,000 years from now, someone's going to sit down at a piano and write a very beautiful piece of music using all the same notes that I have right now. <laughs> but I cannot find what that is, even though like I everything is right here. But it's it's also so far away and so elusive. And, and it's just like, I don't know, even just, you know, even as a closer point of view, we're you know, we've released quite a number of albums at this point. And um, I, I plan to release quite a few more. And I like there's going to be in like five to ten years or something. I'm going to sit down and write some song, and it's all, all the same notes are there. But why can't I find it now? I have to wait until then to find it. And that just well, it fits into what uh, I think that Pete and I want to talk a little bit about some of the things we've liked about um, pocket vinyls music. And I guess we've been with you guys, so to speak, journalistically since the start of all of this. Is that? Yeah, I think so. How we could never 
pin you down stylistically. You were always trying something new, uh, whether that was conscious, whether you're pushing yourself like Andy Partridge would, um, whether that's just what you like to do, or whether... I guess what I'm getting at is that's all good, and as a fan... And you have no real responsibility to me, and neither does Andy Partridge or Neil Finn or Stephen <laughs> Wilson. But at a certain point, the fan goes, boy, I wish that Eric would do more of this because I really like this part of it. Um, and this is – with with the winter person, it's like you have arrived at an artistic – destination that I don't even know you were looking for. There's a real consistency and vibrant strength to this where you sound like you sound like I, I Eric Stevenson. <laughs> Does that make sense to you, Peter? <laughs> yeah, so I mean what what that made me think of is so the last time I listened to Winter Person on Spotify, um, I scrolled down to the you might you might also like, uh-huh. I feel like it's, it's always hard to, to try to like categorize somebody musically. Like, yeah, you, like it's oh, yeah. piano, it's rock yeah. music, but like, what does that tell you about it? Um, and so I just thought, thought it was sort of funny. You might also like the mountain goats, steampunk, queer core, <laughs> punk unleashed. I was like, okay, like I, I wouldn't necessarily like put pocket vinyl in any of those categories, but maybe I can also see some of the like the musical threads there too. Yeah, I mean, I will, I will say that the closest one is probably the Mountain Goats because I, John Darniel, I, I find um, very influential to me, not only in just a man who is constantly putting out more and more work, and I remember like hearing an interview with him where he just talked about how. Like people are like, wow, why are you so pro- prolific? And he's just like, that's the job. I'm a musician. You make music. Like to him, it was a very matter of fact. And like, I, that resonates with me. Um, the <laughs> Rick, what you were saying, it's, I'm so happy to hear that because I honestly am afraid that all our albums sound the same. <laughs> no. And Peter's and, shaking his head. No, they don't. Okay. It's so. Now, part of that, from my perspective, is that, you know, most of these songs, after we're done in the studio and stuff, I mostly hear them when I'm playing them live. And our live show, you know, uh, while more recently we've been playing with a bassist and drummer, um, our live show is uh, mostly Elizabeth and myself, her painting and then me playing on the piano. And so I hear all these songs in just vocal piano form. Sure. And I see like all the, I, I mean, there are so many what I would like, I don't know, I don't know, cliche isn't the right word, but just like tricks, like a bag bag of tricks that I just, I often jump to, which work, but it's very, it's just I'm so afraid that that it's um, you know boring that I keep jumping back to them okay for instance here's what I'm talking about so the very first song on Winter Person is uh, Apocalypse Voice and it starts with like a thing and it it, there's a, a low C octave 
thing. And it's like, boom, 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 boom. That I just do on the piano with my left hand. And I'm just, I, for like 75% of the song, my hand is writing a C note. It's an octave, so it's two Cs, but it's, it's the C note, okay? If you go back all the way to our first album, there's a song there where my left hand just rides a D note. And it's like the same, like this low rumbling thing that just kind of goes under every song. Now, there is also songs on death anxiety and uncomfortably insured. And like, I've used that many, many times throughout our career. So I, I see that as like, oh, geez, this is going to, you know, this is just obviously a pocket vinyl song. You know what I mean? Where it's yeah. like, it's just, it's. It's so, part of your compositional DNA. Yes. And so I, I, I am very aware of that. Um, and I remember sometimes, I think it was my brother or something, but when I was younger, he, he mentioned something that was like, I don't know, somewhere I got into my head that an audience will give a band three albums to like have a sound. Sure. And that like maybe an audience will, like stay with you of like, but then like after that, and this isn't, you know, a tried and true rule always, but it's like, for some reason I just got in my head, like after three albums, like you better start mixing it up. <laughs> and now, you know, if you count, like we have an exclusive album on Patreon and we did a, the kind of the sister album to winter person was Hugo, which was like a whole bunch of ambient kind of music and stuff. And if you count all those together, we've released, I believe eight albums. And over about 10 years and uh, it, you know, that that's a lot of stuff. And that's a lot of, of music. Like I, I, there are very few artists that I know who have eight albums and I have all of them or have listened to all of them. Do you know what I mean? Sure. And so there is a part of me that's kind of like, well, why, you know, why are, what reason would people come back to us and listen? Like what, you know, if I'm just, I, cause I see these like bag of tricks and stuff. And so anyway, obviously I'm going to fall. Like I can only see life and experience things through my own perspective. And while I can try to live in other people's shoes and stuff, it still comes back. It's like Beck. Like I think, you know, Beck is a very, he's really so many different kinds of albums, but you listen to him. It, it, they all sound like Beck. That's, they're all, you know Beck. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, I think in the same way, there's, there's something I can't avoid. It's always going to just sound like whatever my quote unquote, voices or whatever but i i try to be very conscious about every album having a unique um you know style or 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 twist or something so that just the audience will like people who've liked something we've done before will want to check it out because you know i there's in the same thing i know i have other bands that i love like a single album of theirs and for whatever reason like i'm good with that and they might release new stuff. And for some reason, I'm just like, ah, I just, I got what I need out of them of this one album. And, you know, I want people to, to be able to keep coming back and see like, Oh, like I want to be a band that like, you know, like Radiohead now they're all in their fifties, but people are still like, Oh man, can't wait for the new Radiohead album. Like I want to be that kind of band where it's, it's like anticipate, like people look forward to like, Oh, what will happen this next sure. time rather than, you know, I know some bands who, just kind of release the same album over and over again which is like you know there might be some good songs and stuff but it doesn't feel exciting as much
If you are intrigued at all by what Pete and I discuss, or maybe you just want more Rick Coster in your life, or you're a fan of the day's daybreak art section, we've got a newsletter for you, which is called The Fun Never Stops. We'll send it out every Thursday. And what exactly will you be sending them? Some pithy commentary and some highlights on stuff, the articles, columns you might not have seen. Subscribe for free at theday.com slash newsletters. Winter person, would it even exist with the, and we haven't even discussed this, the, the wonderful book that you and Elizabeth, principally Elizabeth, created to go along with this. We'll get to that in greater detail. Or the ambient record that goes along with it, if there hadn't been a plague. Oh, yeah. No, all this stuff was almost, we were like 90% of the way through um, a lot of the things before the pandemic hit. Um, And that was, I mean, so we'd been working like kind of the, the conceit and twist. I, I always like to try to find a theme for all our albums. Sure. And the one for winter person was, was all kind of what we called uh, it's about defiant hope. And, and cause you know, our other albums, we, we made an album about death and, and kind of struggles of sexuality and one sort of uh, trying to like get intense quietness. And uh, those were all kind of, you know, negative isn't the right word, but they were all, all dealing with fear and, and in some way and kind of confronting that fear. And so I wanted to try to tackle an album just that wasn't like a, a about fear or something, but about like tackling, like a, just a, a good thing. At first I thought it'd be like to write basically a bunch of happy songs. Uh, and I thought about it and tried to do it. And I realized like, you know, the best examples are like, don't worry, be happy or, you know, that kind of thing. But it's like of like happy songs. And I realized pretty quickly they were cheesy, but why people find them cheesy is because there was no, um, there's no conflict, no narrative structure. Like it's, it's as if a story is like once upon a time, there was a guy and, and they, the, you know, he went and saved a princess and, and then the princess saved him. And then they lived happily ever after. I, even the save, even that it's like, it's more of just like two people lived and then they were happy and that's it. <laughs> and it's like, that's no, that's no story. Um, but then I kind of realized that hope inherently in itself can't really exist without despair. So all, all immediately there's kind of a conflict within it. And, um, I just kind of thought about like sort of a hope that goes against all odds and one that uh, is almost like, you know, the more cynical people would would call it um, like, you know, foolish hope. Um, And I I found that just idea, something clicked. I'm slower at this age, but I swear I was a dancer. I still get up on stage. I've been working on those songs for at least a year, I think, before the pandemic started. And we had, like I said, like, I think most of the principal recording was finished. Uh, Elizabeth did a lot of the book work. Um, So for those listening, she did, uh, um, she took the lyrics of every song and made a comic uh, based on the lyrics. And then in the book, too, we also had, like, we have uh, essays about each song, chord structures, and there's a bunch of um, puzzles and riddles that, if solved, lead to other music and art that cannot be found anywhere else. And 
we just wanted it to be like a, a cool thing. And most of that was done during the pandemic, but we already had like the plan in place. Okay. So, and same with the, the uh, ambient music too. Okay. I, I love the ambient stuff. And I, I find as I get older, when I'm uh, writing that it's harder and harder for me to write and listen to music with lyrics. I don't know whether that's just an age thing. I've heard other writers mm. go through those similar things. So I do listen to a lot of what I consider dark ambient or dark electronica. Yeah. And and I thought, you know, when I got a copy of it, and, and pronounce this one again for me. Uh, it's uh, Huga. It's a Dutch word. Yeah, it doesn't look like it's no, it's H Y G G E. It's a Dutch word that uh, there's no English equivalent, and it basically means <laughs> it's the feeling of when there's like a snowstorm outside, like raging, and you're like inside in a comfy chair wrapped in a blanket next to a fire, enjoying a warm cup of tea. Like that's that's what huga is, and it's yeah, wonderful. It's, uh, I, I, it's, it's a great word. I love that word. <laughs> Well, it's a, it's a, to me, it's a great album, and it is a wonderful companion piece. And did that, it, were you working on that at the same time, or did that occur to you as a result of the work that you and Elizabeth had already put in? Was like, hey, we could also do this, or what? No, it was, we were also working on that as well. Um, I, I just, I found that I enjoyed kind of sitting at the piano and just kind of, figuring out these like more long form um, instrumental pieces. And it, that, that it, it happened kind of quickly, but we didn't like, it's, you know, whereas most of our stuff, yeah, it can fall into the like indie rock genre or whatever. It, you know, an album of all ambient piano music didn't really fit into that. And so it seemed, even though I wanted to do it, it seemed odd as a standalone release. Yeah. Because um, it, it just, it, it felt like too, too left field sure. for, you know, what the band is and stuff. But it, I think, yeah, it works really well as kind of like a companion album um, to Winter Person. And it almost, almost not really like a B-sides, but just a... I don't know. It's its own thing, but not, it just, it seemed to make sense to release it kind of together um, oh, it rather works. than, and yeah. And it, it's, it just, I don't know. All those songs too, to me sound, they sound hookah. They like, they sound yeah, like they comforting piano music, but also ones that it's not cheesy, at least to my ears. No, it's not. And I, I don't know what the, Dutch word for autumnal by the fireplace while the leaves <laughs> fall, but that's sort of where I, it took me. It's just, I, I mean, honestly, it just, it just kind of, it felt good because I feel like so much I worry about lyrics and trying to communicate something and trying to fit it all into like a three or four minute song and just to not let time or words get in the way and just kind of play something comforting it just it felt correct yeah i guess is the way to put it and then even like when we did it in the studio we only did like one or two takes per song and then added like very quickly added a few layers uh, of things depending on you know which of the six songs it was and uh i mean maybe that whole record if you count up everything in the studio was 
five or six hours to put everything together. And it felt very kind of slightly planned and slightly improv. You know what it was? This is, this is the perfect way to describe it. It's okay. So for our, our live shows, when Elizabeth does a painting and someone asks her like, Oh, do you plan the painting ahead of time? She always says that it's about 50% planned and 50% kind of improv. And that's exactly what that Hugo record is, is we like kind of made a plan and then just, just hit record and sort of figured out the plan as we went and like, you know, took some turns here and there is, but it just, and to me, because of that, even though it's, it's very kind of slow, it's, it, it feels fresh still to me. Whereas, you know, I'm proud of all our, our like, regular rock albums but by the time we release them and stuff we have those songs we've pushed them through so many filters that it's it's like i honestly it's very hard to know whether or not the songs are good or bad by the time other people hear it just because to my ears it's it's I, I love them but it's still just it's it's hard to be um it's just hard to, to tell at that hard point, to hear you know? in a fresh context because you played it three thousand times in the studio Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's like, you know, you just have to trust that, like, oh, I, I once thought that these were good, so I hope they still are. I think maybe one of the reasons that there is a uh, more of a stylistic consistency from A to Z on the record is because you've got a backing band, or at least Alex Glover, um, mm-hmm. playing in the studio with you. Um, talk a little bit about that decision, and do we anticipate that that this will be something that happens on stage more and more, possibly even in, in future recording sessions? Well, so the... Um Tim Donnell and Jay Silva, who are in Straight to VHS, uh, have been playing the bass and drums. They did not play bass and drums on this album. Um, but yeah, it was mostly me and then a friend of mine from college, Alex Glover, who lives up in Boston. And he has his own uh, studio and everything. And uh, it, you know, originally I actually was recording with someone else and Alex was just going to do the bass. And long story short, he's like, oh, well, I think... I have some ideas for these drums too. And I have this and that. And then I talked to the guy who was originally, I was recording the album with, and I was like, Hey, I think Alex has like a very strong vision for this album that like aligns with mine. And um, my friend, he's called Nate. He's the guy I made our previous album, Uncomfortably Unsure with him. And we basically decided like, okay, he sent all the files over to Alex and Alex kind of became the producer. Um, And Alex is just, he's a very, excitable guy and he's very like if he gets he's a he a self-proclaimed like tinkerer of just like oh well what does this do and what does and he can you know kind of like in the morning at sunrise like look and start clicking away at the computer and like before he knows it it's sunset like that kind of focus on things sometimes and um i just think him and i saw a lot of where the album could go or should go um and so it all just kind of clicked together is mostly the two of us um, doing the various instruments and, and everything just kind of uh, came together that way. Uh, and so it's, yeah, we, we tried to, we wanted to make it sound like it was all different people 
playing <laughs> like a band together. Um, and so I'm glad to hear that we apparently succeeded as far as you're concerned. <laughs> um, we've been rolling pretty good for a while. And I, I do want to ask you about, you know, just to give folks the opportunity to know what's going to happen at the uh, release party. Yeah, no. So this uh, uh, Friday and Saturday, October 8th and 9th, uh, we're playing at Strange Brew in Norwich. Uh, it's technically, again, Winter Person has been out for almost a year, but because of the pandemic, we haven't really played any shows. So we're doing the album release show <laughs> on Friday night in uh, Norwich, Connecticut, Strange Brew. It's starting at eight o'clock, done at 11. So it's not even that late of a night as far as rock shows usually go. We we made sure to keep it reasonable <laughs> so you can get to bed at a good hour still. And then the following night, we're playing in Turington on the other side of the state. Um, uh, and that will be at the um, Nolk Gallery um, at, I believe it starts at 630. Um, but yeah, we're, we're going to be playing full bands. We'll be playing uh, the new songs, a lot of old favorites. And uh, we even have Jay, Tim and I, uh, as they're practicing, we have been working on some new material as well. And so, yeah, yeah, we have, it's, there's a lot of irons in the fire at the moment. Do you want to talk about some of the other projects in the uh, pocket vinyl extended universe? Some of the other- <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Right. The, the PVCU, <laughs> um, the, yeah. So actually as I'm talking right now in the other room, Elizabeth is working on, um, a book. We haven't really said too much about this. I don't even know if you guys know, but, uh, Elizabeth got a, a book deal to make a graphic novel, a 300 page graphic novel, all about our, um, tour we did in 2019, where we, we played a show in every state in the fastest amount of time. And we absolutely, uh, it was one of the best adventures of our lives. And we almost lost our minds completely doing it. Um, it's, it's the whole book deals a lot with, uh, the adventure of it all mental health, uh, two humans just descending into madness while trying to, to break a world record and also has a bunch of like, sort of, I don't know how to, bits about being on tour and stuff to help other bands. It's kind of weaved into the storyline and it's, it's a really big ambitious thing. It's not coming out until spring 2023, but we just uh, finalized the, the script and Elizabeth has started the the first few pages um, uh, in the last week. And so that's definitely a more long-term project that we're like really, really looking forward to. Um, she has also the touring test online, which is a, a comic sort of autobiographical about our lives as musicians and, there's a bunch of cat jokes and a fart joke, and there's all sorts of stuff in there. There's uh, another online graphic novel that we're working on uh, about it stars kind of the fictional Eric and Elizabeth from the Turing test, like a, sort of us, but not really us, but kind of us as characters. And uh, it's called Lucifer and the predetermined timeline. And basically it's a romantic comedy with a theological sci-fi slant where Eric and Elizabeth meet and fall in love. And six years later, the earth explodes and a bunch of angels in heaven then have to go back in time to fix it because in the predetermined timeline, they were not supposed to meet. And so they keep going back and they have a million tries due to a bunch of legal paperwork in heaven uh, to try to fix it. But uh, they keep meeting and the world keeps blowing up and then they, yeah, it's just it's a it's kind of like a Groundhog's Day type of thing, 
but like imagine people on the outside trying to change the thing, but it just keeps blowing up in their faces. And it's a, a, yeah, I don't know if that makes any sense or anything, but uh, those are happening. Uh, I currently am trying to scale down 50 songs into uh, some potential albums (laughs) and trying to uh, work on those. Uh, And I believe that might be all that we're doing at the moment outside of, again, just waiting on the pandemic to lighten up so we can do another like two month tour or something across the U S but that's not in the near future. I don't want to end this on a, on a downer note, but does it frustrate you knowing that you'll never have a better song title than brittle wolf? (laughs) I am glad that you like that because I was kind of afraid that it was cheesy or a bad title. No, like something about the word wolf. I thought was like too, I don't know. I was almost afraid that it was too, we actually, we considered calling the album Brittle Wolf for a little bit. Uh, and I was, uh, we liked the word brittle. And Elizabeth said, when I told her that I think the, the lyrics, uh, and I told her, I think that song is gonna be called Brittle Wolf. She's like, that sounds like one of my paintings. <laughs> yes, I'm gonna learn how to take and uh, I was like, oh, okay. Brutal so I'm glad you. But See, it's so. I, this whole conversation, everything you said, it just proves to me, and it's so hard to remember this, especially when you're just stuck alone in a house during a pandemic and stuff, that I have absolutely no idea what is good or what is bad or what people connect to or anything <laughs> when it comes to anything that we're involved in. Well, and so I don't know. I'm gl- good. I'm glad you glad you like that. Little Wolf <laughs> is pretty hard to argue with. With me. your job i do i love my job do you love your job enough to do it for free um no so would you say that somebody who's listening to this podcast and not subscribing to the day is basically stealing money out of your pocket (laughs) they are they are cheaters peter so if you don't want rick's wonderful dogs to go hungry (laughs) you might consider buying a digital or print subscription to the day would be greatly appreciated.